Hi, I'm Mike Starr. I'm a paediatrician at the Children's Hospital. And I'm here to have a chat to Lionel Lubitz, who's been a paediatrician here and in the community for many, many years. And uh, he's about to retire from the hospital, so we wanted to capture some of his experiences of his clinical career. Now we're going to talk about chronic fatigue syndrome, an area of practice that Lionel was very involved in during his career. Maybe we start with chronic fatigue syndrome. If, what, what sort of things do you think would be helpful for young doctors working in the area? I think chronic fatigue syndrome is not different from any other condition that we deal with, except it has a f certain challenges. So the first challenge with chronic fatigue syndrome is when you're dealing with a condition that is hard to define and hard to diagnose and hard to believe, it challenges a lot of your own presumptions. For example, um, when you're dealing with a patient where you don't believe what they're telling you, you already failed. So the first rule in chronic fatigue syndrome is to believe the patient. Because of course what they're experiencing is real. Uh, and the second challenge in chronic fatigue syndrome is to be able to sit with uncertainty, to be able to sit listening to a story unfold where it doesn't easily fit and where you can't come up with a definitive clean diagnostic formulation and say this is what it is, this is what you have to do. And the third is to recognise that you're dealing with a condition that you're not going to be able to fix. So those are very difficult for us as mm. doctors. It sits very uncomfortably and you have to start the process by recognising that first of all in you so that you can be more effective with the patient and the, and the family. Mm, that's really interesting. And what, and what are some of the things that you feel, apart from obviously believing them then and, and sharing their story, listening to their story and believing it, what things did you find most helpful in terms of managing them and help, helping these, some of well, these kids? Well, I think kids? first of all, to make a diagnosis. Even though the diagnosis is blurry, you have to make a diagnosis. And uh, there are many causes of fatigue. Fatigue is a symptom. It's not a diagnosis. Um, however, there are certain f factors that are almost universally described by somebody with chronic fatigue syndrome. So there is an acute beginning. You don't want somebody to say, well, I've always felt this since I was born. That doesn't quite fit. That doesn't fit with chronic fatigue syndrome. Might be another cause of chronic fatigue, but it's not chronic fatigue syndrome. Then you want to also look for some of the very important um, symptoms and there, is, there are many. There are so many diagnostic criteria. You can use the Oxford criteria, the Fukuda criteria, the original Australian criteria, the Canadian, which is the ones I like, criteria which became the paediatric criteria which then get ta got taken up by the, the Medical Association of America. They had another set of criteria. So you can get really overwhelmed by the different numbers of uh, criteria, but there are certain things that I have found, if they don't complain about it, they probably don't have chronic fatigue syndrome. And so they're not many. So there's fatigue, of course, with an acute beginning. 
Usually it's a viral illness. Sometimes it's something else that sets it off. I had one kid who'd done a massive hike and he said after that he never recovered his stamina. And maybe he had a virus during the hike, maybe something happened, but something happened to him during that hike. They also will invariably have sleep difficulties. So they're tired, they've got fatigue, but they can't go to sleep. It's a kind of weird thing. The other area that you want them to have is you want them to have some neurological symptoms and brain fog is almost universal and it's not just a fog from being tired or fatigued it's more than that they complain that they just can't focus and they can't manage uh, the classroom and that's why they, if they go to school they don't function even though they say, I can get to school but I don't function so if they tell you that kind of story then you're on track and then there are multiple other things. You expect them to have some kind of musculoskeletal discomfort, headaches, and other non-specific symptoms. But often, if those symptoms are present, you're heading in the right direction. So you don't need to find too many things to remember before you say, wow, this sounds like it's going to be chronic fatigue syndrome. Then you run a whole lot of tests, because chronic fatigue syndrome is a diagnosis of exclusion. You have to exclude thyroid disease, adrenal disease, other causes of um, fatigue, anemia, mm -hmm. iron deficiency, all those sorts of things. So you've got to do a number of tests. Often the GP has already done them, mm. so you don't have to repeat them. Um, and thereafter, there are very few tests. There are some countries where they insist on doing sleep studies, so you can exclude a sleep disorder. I don't do that routinely unless I get major sleep issues, then I'll do a sleep study, but m most times I don't. Um, and I guess once you've examined the patient and you haven't found anything else, then you're left with a diagnosis of exclusion and that's chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. And is there, are there one or two things that would you think are most helpful in terms of the management to tell yeah. people about? Yes, there are. I think the first useful thing that you can do is believe them mm. and say to them, I actually believe that you've got this problem and it's very substantial and it has a major impact on your function. You know, it's quite hard to know whether you should define it as something physical or something non-physical. You know, when I first came to chronic fatigue, I thought more kind of a mixture of physical and psychological. As I've gotten more into it, I found less psychological issues in these kids, although some of them do have some mental health issues. But generally, I don't find most of them have significant um, psychological issues. So dealing with the physical side is usually what I do. And the first thing to do is to use the two P's, pace and prioritise. You have to pace yourself and prioritise what you do. And it's so important because I say to them, I almost write on a piece of paper, exercise is good for chronic fatigue because I'm a big believer in the value of graded exercise in chronic fatigue. And then I write underneath it, exercise is bad for chronic fatigue and they have a laugh about it. Why? Because exercise is really good for chronic fatigue but also if you do the wrong exercise, if you do major sports, physical education classes, it can make you much worse. And we now know why. We know that kids who pass their anaerobic threshold they start to developing 
lactic acidosis, develop lactic acidosis, other, other difficulties with their muscles and, their, um, and increasing fatigue, and so makes them worse if they do exercise. But if they build up their exercise very slowly, and I'm a big fan of exercise physiologists who can help grade the exercise up slowly, and those kids feel better, because we all know that when you're doing exercise, you feel better. We also know that if you do exercise, your conditioning remains better, and you don't want to become deconditioned while you're feeling these symptoms of chronic fatigue syndrome. So to try and get that right is very difficult, and it's hard for the kids to do exercise because they don't feel that good. Mm -hmm. They don't feel up to it, and yet we're telling them to do a little bit of exercise. So I tell them exercise is good and exercise is bad. I also tell them that rest is good, so they have to have enough rest. But if, if they fall asleep at the end of the day after school, which they classically do, they just make it to the end of the day and then they crash. Mm. And then they wake up at seven o'clock and then they can't get to sleep till midnight. That's not good for their routine. So I tell them to have a nana nap in the middle of the day. You, know, you can just cheat the system a little bit. Therefore, they can control their uh, activity. And the third thing that I always do is I always provide them with a letter for school. And I give them the letter on the first consultation in which I remind the school how important it is to believe these kids and to give them an adjusted program. Um, and of course to change the academic requirements to say, well, you instead of doing five subjects for your year 11 or year 12, you're going to do two or three and then you're going to spread it out over two or three years to do it slower. A lot of kids don't like that, by mm. the way. They don't want to stop their VCE. They want to get over it, uh, get over and done with it. But sometimes it's better for kids just to slow it down. And I try and encourage them to slow it down. How do you, that makes me think of, um, one of the things I find hard is holding the families through that. It's, it's a long, long process. What... Yes, it is hard. And you know what, parents, the parents' questions are often, how far do we go to push them or encourage them, mm. especially fathers. How far do we go? We try and get them to get out and do stuff, but they won't. And it's a very difficult one. I don't know if there's a simple solution to that. I think the parents sometimes do push too hard. And sometimes parents don't encourage enough. So to try and get that balance right is very difficult for a parent. Uh, I can imagine how hard it is. Um, and sometimes I do use medication to help with that. Mm -hmm. Most medication doesn't cure chronic, no, no medication cures for chronic fatigue. But there are some medications I use commonly. And the m most common one that I use that most of my colleagues haven't been using over the years is Ritalin. Because I think brain fog is such a substantial problem for these kids that a tiny dose of Ritalin, literally 2.5 to 5 milligrams once or twice a day, not the doses you use for ADHD kids, can make a massive difference to their functioning. But of course, if you give too much, they get side effects. And you can't get it on the PBS because it's uh, not an ADHD diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So you do a private script, which, you, which I do. Mm -hmm. And there, there is some evidence, there's some not great studies, but there's enough evidence for me to feel comfortable to use that. The other medication that I use a lot is NDEP amitriptyline because not uh, anti, uh, antidepressant doses, you use 10 milligrams, tiny mm. doses. 
because that is really helpful because it gets them to sleep. And it also does help with the musculoskeletal symptoms and the headaches. So that can be very helpful. And the third area that I will treat sometimes is their POTS, which is the mm. postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And I think that's quite common in chronic fatigue and often gets worse when the chronic fatigue is worse and better when they're recovering. And sometimes I'll refer them to a cardiologist to, to get some help. And sometimes I'll use various medications to help. Mm. I prefer to do that in conjunction with a cardiologist. Mm. Um, the only other medication that I'll mention is fluoxetine. And I mention that because people are often surprised that we use an antidepressant for somebody who's not depressed. But I do think it is helpful for two reasons. One is it does give kids a bit of motivation when they're feeling defeated. Because chronic fatigue syndrome, when you've had it for 6, 12, 18 months, you feel defeated. Mm. And fluoxetine just lifts things a bit and has a mild stimulant effect. So you have some benefit from it. Um, again, the side effects of nausea can sometimes put you off prescribing it. And again, tiny doses, uh, 5 milligram, 10 milligram, you very rarely need the typical antidepressant doses. In fact, I've never used those sort of doses. So medications in that way can be useful in treating chronic fatigue. But I always warn kids when I use, the, when I use medication that it's not going to make it go away quicker. Hmm. And it's it may have side effects that are unacceptable and you should stop it if that's the case. Do you think that um, chronic fatigue and POTS are more common now? We see a lot more of, we seem to see a lot more kids with these things. We're recognising yeah. it more. What's the story? It's hard to know whether it's recognition or um, some other reason for increased incidence. I suspect it's recognition. I think mm -hmm. before we didn't look for it. Kids were complaining of being dizzy with chronic fatigue. And when you, if you don't do their blood pressure and heart rate, and in fact, even if you do it, you can miss it. Hmm. Uh, if you don't wait long enough to get a proper blood pressure and heart rate change, you should really wait two or three minutes before doing a lying and standing blood pressure and uh, heart rate. And I do multiple. I actually get, they think I'm a bit demented <laughs> sometimes because I do one, I said, I'll do it again, I'll do it again, I'll do it again, because I want to see when it stabilizes. Um, because if I'm gonna put them on medication for POTS, I wanna be sure I'm doing it for a good reason. Because yeah. of course you can treat POTS without medication, utilizing fluids and stockings, uh, stockings etc. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, continue this conversation another day. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Today we heard from Lionel Lubitz about chronic fatigue syndrome and his experiences with management of that condition. If you wanna catch more of this sort of thing, go to our website.